0: Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 84. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $632 each. And listeners, before we get started with the show, I'd like to share with you a website I recently discovered that will help keep you up to date with live streaming cryptocurrency prices. Check out CryptoCompare.com. This is the best source I've found for looking at trends and for gaining valuable information about cryptocurrencies, mining equipment, and wallets. Bookmark it now. CryptoCompare.com Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. (laughs) Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me today as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin center of the South. I'm here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. We're two Bitcoin fanatics who love talking with people about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Longtime listeners, thank you once again for supporting the show with your tips and new listeners. We hope you enjoy the show on today's show i have the privilege of speaking with kent barton in denver colorado kent is the founder of ethereum denver a meetup group that also provides workshops and events for ethereum enthusiasts as well as the broader blockchain cryptocurrency community in mile high city Listeners, today I am privileged to be speaking with a young man in Denver, Colorado, Kent Barton, and he's heading up the Ethereum meetup group there in Denver. Kent, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy.
1: Hey, thank you very much, John. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and we were just talking about the weather. So it's hot there, but it's dry, different than Nashville, where it's hot and humid.
1: It's a hot, dry uh, climate. The best way to escape the heat here is just to head to the mountains, uh, even. You know, an hour drive up uh, up west up I seventy, you can really cool off nicely.
0: Man, that sounds so nice to be able to head up into some cool mountains. That's uh, something we don't have here. We can head east about three or four hours to the Smoky Mountains, and we can get a little bit of a relief that way. But that's, you know, that's a little bit of a haul. So Ethereum Denver, correct me if I'm wrong, please, sir. You are the founder of Ethereum Denver. Is that right?
1: Oh, uh, that's correct. I actually founded the group in, I believe it was April 2014. So it was just, it was slightly after the Ethereum project was announced. Okay. Um, that was a few months prior. And I had been a Bitcoin guy previous to that. But then once I saw it, Everything about this new technology, I thought, wow, this is some next level stuff. And even back then in 2014, there was a pretty good uh, crypto scene here in Denver, really just Bitcoin at the time. But I I figured that there would be a good demand for uh, a newer technology, kind of a 2.0 technology, if you will. And fast forward to today, we have, last I checked, I think it's up like 220 members. Uh, We seem to add more every week. So... It's been really fun just to sort of see how the the community really gets behind this. And we have so many different people from different backgrounds, uh, developers, hardware guys, people who are just, you know, interested in the technology, entrepreneurs. It's been a pretty rewarding experience.
0: Well, that's great. You know, I've lived on the West Coast for a decade, and I think that people who are from the Midwest or from this region of the country, Nashville, the South, uh, I think that they if they have not been to either one of the coasts and in particular the west coast or the western half of the United States they don't realize that there is such a different feel there in terms of how people think and in terms of the progressive way of thinking about you know true progress I'm not referring to anything political but you know just the idea of moving forward with thinking with getting better and improving and Uh, higher education and technology and you know the whole cannabis thing that's going on there it's just such a different world from the south and from the midwest where things are just kind of same old same old and in a lot of ways here in the midwest and in the south some things haven't changed much since the 1950s which is pretty weird when you think about it, <laughs> right. it's a little bit frightening. But, uh, yeah, so gosh darn it, Denver sounds so appealing in so many ways. I actually just went out for Hot Chicken yesterday with my friend Lidge, who owns a studio. We were in the studio working on a song I wrote called Hot Chicken. And afterwards, we had to go get Hot Chicken. So we went to Prince's, which is the original Hot Chicken. It's a black family-owned Hot Chicken. We ran into a guy there from Denver who was here for one of his friend's weddings, but, you know, we talked about the weather and we talked about the cannabis situation. We talked about a little bit about tech, but Denver, it sounds to me like, is pretty strong when it comes to tech. Is that right?
1: Uh, It is. It's getting increasingly that way. I'd say uh, it's really accelerated over the past five to seven years. In terms of, you're kind of mentioning just the general progressive spirit. Uh, in the, the non-political way of this uh, willingness to change and this kind of attitude, I think it goes all the way back to kind of the, the pioneering days. You know, Colorado used to be really a frontier area. We had, you know, the gold miners. Uh, my grandma, her grandmother grew up in Leadville, which was a, it used to be a capital area of Colorado, or at least the territory. So this spirit of kind of willingness to, to break outside the box and think outside the box, uh, goes back historically to the, the mid-1800s. And so fast forward to today, and I I think you have a lot of good ingredients in place for really interesting things to happen in tech. Um, You know, just so you have this attitude of kind of, hey, do whatever, do your own thing. Uh, You you don't feel constrained by sort of, you know, tradition or, uh, you know, culturally, it's a very uh, forward-thinking area. And then tech-wise, you know, Boulder, Denver and Boulder, you kind of have to view them synonymously. Um, Boulder itself is a real tech hub. Uh, Google has offices up there uh, there's tons of good startups and to be a developer in the Denver Boulder area right now is a, just a really good thing like it's pretty much carte blanche uh, I'm not a dev myself some days I wish I was but you know you can really sort of choose your own adventure here because there, there's so many opportunities and it's kind of become this reinforcing feedback loop where as word gets out of like oh wow Denver is really cool more people are moving here, uh, which in in general is cool. Although it's getting a little bit more expensive of a a town and, uh, you know, traffic is, is getting worse, but, uh, on net, it's really cool. And then you add in this sort of, you know, the, the whole weed element, cannabis, and it's, um, you know, we're sort of known for that right now. There's so much more to Denver than that, but I think it's emblematic of the fact that we as a kind of as a state are really willing to kind of support, uh, individualism and kind of uh do our own thing but in a way that's like really common sense you know we did not rush into this legalization thing it was a gradual thing first with the medical and then uh certain groups here really really thought out the legislation carefully and uh you know it's it's really worked out great crime is down uh by a lot of measures and uh we're, we're raising millions of dollars for for uh, schools which was a pretty savvy thing that they added into uh legislation where a certain hmm. amount of cannabis revenue has to be uh, moved over to the schools.
0: Nice. I like that. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's some exciting stuff, man. It really is. You know, you think about that pioneering spirit of the West, people moving West and the gold rush and all of that. And, you know, I picture the Conestoga wagons, you know, maybe that should be what the flag is, a Conestoga wagon to show that. An image (laughs) of that movement and of the bravery of those people to head toward the West Coast. But, uh, you know, here in this region, the South, you know, we're still Civil War minded where, you know, if we were to change the flag, it would be something like a trench. You know, you dig a trench and put a sandbag there and that would be on the flag, you know, (laughs) dig in. Keep doing the same damn thing over and over again year after year. Keep your mind closed. Make sure you don't let tech take off too quickly because it would, you know, might it might upset the children or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what a different world you're living in. And, you know, the economies are going to show that in the future. And I think that we're going to see areas that have an inability or an unwillingness, you know, in terms of their state legislature here in Nashville, for instance, where the good old boys are still well entrenched in their tomfoolery, I think we're going to see economies hurting where we see economies on the West Coast and particularly in places like Denver and Boulder thriving, you know. And, yeah, people still also don't understand the concept of if you legalize something like marijuana, well, that means that you have fewer guys out on street corners and fewer people driving around dark alleys at night looking for it and less opportunity for gangs to control the drug trade in a city or the marijuana trade in a city anyway. If it's legal, well, they can't control that. So you're taking the power out of some of these, you know, gangs or cartels or even just the street dealers and the people that go out onto the street to get it because they either need it or want it. Uh, And so, yes, it absolutely does cut down on crime. And that's something that sadly, the war on drugs here in the United States has conveniently overlooked or overshadowed or ignored or purposefully pushed under the carpet as a very, very important factor in the whole scheme of things.
1: You would have thought that us as a country would have learned our, our lesson from prohibition. You know, that was, yeah. that was a disaster across the board. And, and pretty much every element of it has been replicated exponentially with the war on drugs. You know, you have more violent Gangs. Now we've completely destabilized our neighbor to the south because of the drug trade. Although I think there is some indication that uh, the Mexican gangs are, are hurting because uh, California and Colorado have the legal weed now. Uh, so that's that's kind of a uh, you know a revenue source that they're they're lacking. But mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm a little optimistic. Maybe it's easy to be optimistic here in Denver, but I, I'd like to think that the war on drugs that you know the tide is turning a little bit and people are starting to get a little bit more saying about things
0: yeah i hope so my fear is that you know you look back at prohibition and there is some evidence that those people who pushed for prohibition and who lobbied if you can put it that way for prohibition were poised to benefit from prohibition so you had organized crime you had the strong Italian mafia. You had the strong Jewish mafia and the Irish mafia, but mostly the Italian and the Jewish mafia were the ones that were in control of prostitution, of drugs, of running illegal liquor, and they were ready and they were poised. So Prohibition basically helped them set up roadways, if you would, running alcohol, build the empire such that when Prohibition was ended, You had a nice network set up of criminals and of ways to move drugs and ways to move, you know, human trafficking and everything else. So it seems that, you know, the war on drugs has that put more people into private prisons and made more money for, you know, Corrections Corporation of America, for instance? I would say certainly it has. Was that then by design or was it just a byproduct of it? I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know, but I do know that uh, whenever something bad happens or there's bad legislation, you know, oftentimes we can just look, where's the money flowing? Who's profiting from this? And that sometimes can tell us who might have been lobbying for this or pushing for this at the onset. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Some people would say that sounds like conspiracy theory. And I would say, "Eh, no, actually, it sounds a lot more like conspiracy fact.
1: That sounds like common sense to me. Uh, You know, what's the Latin term? Que bueno? Who benefits? So think about the uh, private prisons, also law enforcement, thanks to the uh, way that the war on drugs has trampled on uh, search and seizure amendments, you know, in the Bill of Rights, uh, you know, the things that are supposed to protect us from arbitrary seizure of property. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, now, uh, you know, you might be cruising down I-70 through Kansas, and maybe somebody pulls you over because you have a Colorado tag, which happens a lot, actually, because Mm -hmm. they just assume Uh, They're from Colorado. They must have weed on them. Hmm. And then, you know, it turns out you're not holding anything, but hey, you have $10,000 in cash. Well, they can just take that. My my understanding of it is they can just take that money and hold it as, quote, evidence. And who knows if you'll get it back. You know, this is supposed to be the land of the free. Right. uh, But we've sacrificed these things in the name of some uh, abstract notion of security from the scourge of drugs.
0: Yeah. And they can take your vehicle. And I do know that federal agents and state agents love vehicles. I mean, you know, every state has good old boys. Every state has rednecks. It doesn't matter if they speak with a New England accent or not, they're still rednecks and good old boys. (laughs) And uh, just because they don't have, just because they don't have a Southern accent does not mean they're not rednecks. But yeah, if they can impound that vehicle and take that money and divvy it up, you know, by golly, they'll do that. And then you're going to have to hire an attorney and fight, fight, fight. And you know, what is this? Is this the beginning of an early papers, please, papers, please? It's, you know, starting to feel a little bit like a Nazi Germany type of situation. And it wouldn't surprise me if in the future, you know, going from state to state, you know, we have toll booths. What about going from state to state where at every border, there's a border crossing papers, please, papers, please. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) that's uh, (laughs) what people don't realize is that that could happen, you know, as opposed to the fantasy that there's no way that could happen this is america you know that's kind of the elvis presley barbie doll wonderbread sort of view of reality this could never happen cuz you know we have the homecoming game next week <laughs> yeah
1: as uh, <laughs> as i believe it was benjamin franklin said you know that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance and it, people just <clears> assume <throat> that uh, it, it couldn't happen here because this is this is america but uh, if you just look at the erosion of civil liberties that's happened even, you know, say, since the Reagan administration, um, mm-hmm. uh, under the guise of, well, with with Reagan, you know, I think he has a mixed record. He was pretty good for, you know, free marketers, but this, the were on drugs. He was a big champion of that. Let me fast forward to the, uh, you know, Bush after nine eleven, and under the guise of security, we had the Patriot Act. Uh, we have we've had legislation passed, passed that says, uh, you know, you can indefinitely uh, de- detain Americans without... Uh, A trial. I believe that was the National Defense Authorization Act uh, a few years ago. But it's that classic sort of lobster getting boiled thing. You know, maybe the lobster doesn't notice until it gets, you know, too hot. Hopefully, we're not the
0: lobster. Well, yeah, I think that we learned from, you know, Mussolini and Hitler and Stalin. It's like, no, no, don't just go hit it hard and march in the streets and wear helmets and look crazy and have swastikas on your armbands and look all military and everything. You know, wear suits and wear ties and have nice vehicles that are clean and everything and do it in kind of a clean way and do it, you know, subtly, like you said, slowly by way of legislation. And, you know, that way, Yes, that way we can definitely boil the frog. But another Benjamin Franklin quote, he says, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Yeah, these days, you know, if you tell somebody, well, you've got two choices. You can have terrorists who are going to come and rape and slaughter your family, or you can have fill in the blank, an eight o'clock curfew, or you get this right taken away, or we're going to make laws much more stringent you know people are going to say oh take away my rights or terrorists "Hmm, take away my rights oh go ahead and take away my rights because we don't want terrorists you know it's, (laughs) it's it's kind of like what i keep hearing from everybody you know anybody but trump it's like really satan hitler anybody but trump you know a mentally incompetent psychopath. You know, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> well, <laughs> that just reminds me of Hillary Clinton all of a sudden. But anyway, I digress. I shouldn't have gone there. Anyway. That's man. a whole
1: other cat of worms. We could, we could do the, uh, the election podcast. That, that'll, be a, that'll be an interesting one.
0: Yeah, we won't go there at all. But I will, <laughs> I will tell you, Kent, I had uh, just got a call in from Angela Merkel in Germany from Berlin. And I have a message for my <laughs> listeners from Berlin, everyone. Heil Hitlery, Heil Hit
2: Larry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry about that, Kent. Um, <laughs> so no uh, worries. <laughs> so yeah, man. So you went out of the country for ten days, I guess, to India. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, my wife was out there on business training uh, team out there, and I joined her after she was done. And we we spent some time in India. Okay. Uh, and we were able to travel to uh, to Thailand last year too. So kind of that's one thing that was kind of uh, occurring to me as we we're talking about. Uh, the situation here in terms of, you know, our rights and liberties is um, going to the, some of these other places. It, it's very insightful, too, because um, I, I I think we don't want to throw, throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to the U.S. Uh, we definitely have our problems. But I would say, you know, relative to other areas, we have pretty good rule of law. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have uh, endemic corruption, like really stifling. Uh, of course, corruption exists, but it's not it's not uh, crushing um, right. you know in general businesses are free to uh, you know start up and and do their thing um, yes in India there's a hell of a lot of red tape uh, we were in Kerala which is uh, in the south of the country and uh, they actually have a communist not a socialist but a communist party in charge of the region wow. which kind of blew me away but as you're driving around down there you see the hammer and sickle and it kind of feels like, like wait am I in Mal- Moscow and in a Dude, time warp or something, that's but uh, crazy. yeah, it really is, and I, 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 guess it works for them. You know, that the, they elected the Communist Party in a de- democratic uh, society, so uh, and via pretty fair elections. So, so be it. That's what they've chosen. Um, but I would suspect that that probably is never going to be a a sort of tech hub on the order of um, you know, say Bangalore is a little bit to the north in a different state in India, and it's brought in a lot of wealth into the country because. Uh, you know, they support uh, a lot of IT organizations here in, in the States. Hmm. I like the fact that we have a you know, relatively free society here, but I, I hope it yes. stays that way.
0: Yeah, I do too. And you know, my father's always for years criticized me for criticizing the United States. And, you know, I've told him and I've told many people many times, I criticize and we criticize the United States because we love the United States if I didn't care about the United States, if I hated the United States, I would leave the United States. Oftentimes when people complain about the United States and about the politics and about this and that, you'll hear people say, well, why don't you just leave? It's like, no, 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 no. That doesn't even make sense to answer in that way. What makes sense is thank you for caring so much and for noticing that these things are wrong and for pointing these things out, because I think we have no deficit of people who are just happier than hell to be living here. They have no thoughts about anything bad happening, and they completely believe that everything's gonna be fine until the end of time. So we've got a surplus of those people, so we don't need any more people saying, everything's groovy, wave the flag, what time's a football game start, honey, order a pizza. You know, But what we do have a deficit of is people standing up, sitting around bars and pubs and coffee shops, young people, and saying, here's what I see is wrong, and here's what's pissing me off, and I love this country, and because I love this country, I'm going to speak loudly about what is wrong, and I'm going to make sure that the corruption we see today doesn't end up becoming that kind of endemic corruption where you can't open a small business or you can't travel freely so you know we do need loudmouth people screaming that are annoying and that are you know putting people off you know we have to have that and we can't label those people as my neighbor the brilliant doctor down the street she referred to me as an angry white man and I just told her I said look they're angry white men angry white women angry black men angry black women and on and on and on and on Yes, it's important if you're angry about something in your country to voice your opinion. But I completely agree with you. You know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, undoubtedly, without question, I would much rather be living in the United States with the freedoms that we have. You know, I vowed years ago that I would never, you know, leave. I've heard people say, if this person is elected, I'm out of here. And I've always said, I don't care who's elected. I'm going to stay here because we need good people to stay here. And to keep pushing their opinions out there but so you were gone for a period of time and uh when you came back you emailed me i think and you said man what a rally right ethereum eth coins and bitcoins and a few others had just had this crazy rally that was pretty exciting to see huh
1: it was and uh wake up you know yesterday and poof (laughs) it's gone (laughs) at least in ether but it was uh yeah it I guess eventually you, you get you get sort of acclimated to the, the extreme volatility. I uh, I used to day trade stocks back in the early 2000s, late 90s, you know, oh, during uh. the, the, the original tech bubble. And, you know, that was that that was pretty insane in of itself. Um, but the, the crypto is, is its own beast. And I, I guess eventually you kind of get get used to it. Um, I, I I know some people that actually trade uh, blockchain currencies. I I could never do that myself, but th- those people must have, uh, stomachs of iron, uh, to, mm-hmm. to hold that volatility. I, I personally, you know, I, I think if you're going to invest in a, uh, a crypto project, just take the, the buy and hold mentality if you really believe in it. And then over time, uh, things, you know, hopefully will play out like you, like you think they might. Uh, but yeah, the, the latest rally, I think it was surprising on two counts that, you know, the fact that ether was going up so fast, but also with Bitcoin, it was, a simultaneous rally and this sort of pre-having thing. Yeah. Even though the the network itself looks pretty constrained by some measures, you know, you have the, the mempool uh, maxing out and you still have the, the transaction uh, issue and mm-hmm. uh, this kind of ongoing dispute civil war thing. So it's uh, it, ne- never a dull moment, right?
0: No, never a dull moment. It's very exciting. And yeah, so I was, you know, a little upset about you know, all of the forums talking about the DAO is dead, the DAO is over. It was a bad idea to start with. These guys are fools. And then, you know, Vitalik comes out and says, everything's been fixed. We're cool, I guess. Yeah,
1: you know. it's as somebody that's been sort of involved in, in Ethereum from the get-go. Yesterday was really a watershed moment. And, uh, it, you know, short term, especially for anybody that actually holds Ether, it's like, or those DAO tokens, like, oh, man, <laughs> that's, that's not good. <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, from another standpoint, it's actually I, I think it's like it's part of the growing pains that any any ecosystem is going to have. Uh, and it also reveals some really uh, glaring vulnerabilities in Ethereum. Um, I, I think one one problem with the Dow in general, uh, well not, not problem, but uh, one sort of dynamic I noticed is it has kind of sucked all the attention away from everything else that's been happening in Ethereum. and. Okay, that's understandable, biggest crowd sale ever, you know, what, 150 million, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very impressive. And it, it, the, the concept is cool and very cutting edge, but uh, the Dow does not equal Ethereum. No. Uh, and I think people had started to lose sight of that. The Dow was, uh, you know, sucking up all the attention, uh, all the air in the room. And, you know, meanwhile, there's a lot of interesting innovations happening in Ethereum that, that are continuing uh, that have nothing to do with that project. Um, and now that you have this sort of, uh, you know, it, it really, if, if you had to envision a, a bad scenario for Ethereum in the short term, this is pretty much it. The biggest project got hacked in a, a very nasty way. Uh, but I, it, I think that's gonna make the ecosystem stronger because it's gonna put uh, the focus more on security over just, uh, let's, okay, let's build all this cool stuff. Well, all right, that's great. But is it actually, uh, is, is it secure? Um, there's countless other projects that are probably taking a very good hard look at their code right now and, and uh, you know, trying to analyze the possible attack vectors and, you know, things like that because yeah. uh, no nobody wants to be the next DAO.
0: No, and maybe asking themselves, you know, if we're going to do something like this again, should we maybe be a little bit more patient? Should we maybe not launch quite as soon and build the hype? You know, and the other thing is $150 million. Okay. How many of those people, <laughs> you know, really, honestly, how many of those people who invested part of, and I'm one of them, uh, 5,000 Dow, you know, it wasn't, a, wasn't a ton of money or anything, but, you know, how many of those people are really speculators hoping that they can make a ton of money when the Dow goes from being worth, you know, what, one one hundredth of, ethercoin, uh, Ether coin, I guess, something like that, you know, to, You know being worth 20 times that and all of a sudden i'm a dow coin millionaire whatever i think much more of that interest was from the speculators as opposed to from people who really had a solid understanding of the power of the dow and what the dow could do in terms of bringing greater freedoms to people you know peripherally i could see that on the side that yes this has the potential to be something really interesting and really dynamic and really great still knowing that it's not going to happen right away I have to confess, my interest was much more in uh, speculating on it and hoping to turn a profit at some point.
1: Yeah, I actually took the the very same approach. We actually might have invested the same. amount. I put about five hundred dollars worth in there, and yeah, I, I, I own too. ether as well. But I thought, you know, okay, this is uh, this is uh, a little a little skid in the game. If if it really goes, uh, if it really takes off and goes exponential, uh, then hey, maybe you get a ten x or a twenty x. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, uh, but. On the same token, it was kind of cool to be part of a project where it's like every owner has a proportionate vote to decide what to do. And uh, this whole new way of doing things, it, to me, it got so confusing and overwhelming that I, I found myself starting to lose focus on what was happening in Ethereum in general. I actually, kind of uh, prior to the apocalypse, the I kind of pulled back and stopped paying quite as much of attention because it, it really was a time consuming process. But I think uh, you know, it, it was, you got to credit those guys for coming up with a really interesting concept and actually uh, making it happen, at least temporarily. I, the, the Dow, uh, I, I, you know, things are very much in flux right now, but it, it looks like the project will return funds to those who invested, uh, make everybody whole, and then the Dow itself is, is going to be done. But uh, regardless, I think this concept is powerful and it, it's going to it's going to inform future projects and the idea of a decentralized autonomous organization uh, will be around as a, a you know an improved version in the in the future. Um, and maybe not even just on Ethereum. Maybe you know the, the concept can be ported over to other blockchains as well. Yeah, uh, it has consequences for not just business, but you know nonprofit, government. It's a uh, it's a pretty exciting concept, I think.
0: Yeah, and I have to say I agree with you as far as my initial interest. I also wanted to be a part of to be able to say you know maybe it's ego-driven or what have you, but I wanted to be able to say I was a part of the very first decentralized autonomous organization. And just to be able to say that, you know, for posterity is a pretty neat thing, whether the DAO ends up being anything or not. So there in Denver, uh, it sounds like you have a pretty healthy Bitcoin meetup and also now a, a pretty healthy Ethereum meetup.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. The Bitcoin community has been pretty strong uh, over the past few years. And uh, there, there's a regular meetup here. Uh think they just had roger veer in town if i'm not mistaken um uh and you know every month they have people showing up for uh different sorts of topics and Hmm. i my my meetup was was a little bit informed by what was going on with bitcoin and then also uh i i'm involved in some music meetups here in town and that that actually was kind of the the formative uh thought for for ethereum denver was i i I was attending these uh these music meetups and i just couldn't believe how how cool they were for uh you know, not just like hanging out and, and talking about uh, the topic at hand, but like really meeting interesting people and uh, bouncing around ideas and collaborating on things. Uh, so I, I had a hunch that the the same concept would really work well with this, with what at the time was this crazy uh, concept. It was really just a white paper and a yellow paper, um, and it's it's kind of played out that way. Uh, every time we we meet, there's a uh, kind of a unique vibe. You know, you have people who are uh, business owners or they're looking to start a business. Um, there, there's Bitcoiners who are getting you know, more curious about Ethereum. And then there's people that, that don't really know anything about blockchain, but are kind of skipping straight to Ethereum, which is kind of interesting. You know, they're, they're not necessarily grounded in some of these basic blockchain concepts, but they, they understand the idea of a smart contract, you know, code that kind of functions on its own uh, mm-hmm. on the blockchain. Or in this sort of cloud um, as they might see it. Uh, So it's been a fun ride so far.
0: Wow, that's neat. Yeah, to hear about the different people and their different interests and coming to the meetup. So yeah, gosh darn it, I wish we had meetups like that here in Nashville. Maybe I need to motivate, I always say that. Motivate a little bit more and get that going. So yeah, tech there in Denver, sounds pretty important so let me ask you though just as an aside about the music you said some music meetups you were going to is that uh, for people who music lovers or musicians or what is that
1: uh they were musician oriented meetups so just to kind of bring it full circle briefly here what got me into crypto initially is i i released a cyberpunk concept album called siberia back in 2012 oh nice uh, i i have a music project called seventh wave and you know music has been my passion for a long time and i've also been a tech geek for a long time but uh when I when I put that album out, I knew nothing about Bitcoin, uh, and I, I think I'd read about it on some tech blogs. I, I I knew it existed, but you know, had no idea, no real understanding of it. And then uh, after I released the album, I, I put it on Reddit, and somebody said, "Hey, man, you should sell this for for Bitcoin because I, I think Bitcoin users might you know really enjoy this album." And I'm like, "Well, I you know I heard it got hacked. I didn't understand it." I said, "Shit, okay, let's let's put it out there," um, and it actually sold some copies. And this is back when Bitcoin was, you know, 5 seven, ten $7, 10 Nice. Uh, back in, I believe it was late 2012. So, you know, it, that was pretty cool. And especially as the price started to go up, I'm like, well, I'm actually uh, I'm making some money on music. Which is, <laughs> you know, any musician will tell you, that, that that's almost a unicorn right there to make it, yeah. you know. <laughs> anything more than a few hundred bucks is, is always tough. That's um, right.
0: But,
1: But more important than that is I started to... You know, I went down the rabbit hole. I really started to learn about Bitcoin and this concept of the blockchain. Uh, and that, that kind of eventually led me into Ethereum. So it's really interesting how, how two passions in life can sort of inform each other. Uh, the only downside is these days I spend, I spend so much time on, on blockchain that I, I don't write as much music as I used to. So maybe I need to strike a better, better balance these days.
0: Yeah, man, I don't know. I think, uh, what was it that Edison said? If we did everything we are capable of, we would literally astound ourselves. And, you know, I I pass many evenings where hours are spent reading online. And I think, man, you know, I used to make the coolest robot sculptures and I used to sit with my guitar for hours until something would come up that I hadn't heard before. And for me, that, you know, was synonymous with a new original melody or hook or lyric that I could then you know build a song around or what have you or you know take it over to another song and say hey wow I've been waiting for a chorus for this song for years this could work and I've done that you know and I used to spend so much time with that um and you know and other things I used to be a beekeeper and I used to work on the pottery wheel and you know I like drawing and I like poetry and I like writing fiction and I have to admit, you know, since I fell down, you know, fell into the stupid rabbit hole, you know, in a certain way that has been enriching, certainly in many ways, primarily because of the interesting people who I've met that I never would have met otherwise. And I put you in that category too. Um, But, you know, it's also been debilitating. It's also hurt me in many ways. I'm sitting more with podcasting. I'm editing more using my hands typing more more emails more communication sitting less you know going outside being active so yeah definitely has taken its toll physically and then also you know as far as me socially and as far as just me being well-rounded and active in my own creative mind as a artist as a creator doing what i know that i can do what i know that i'm capable of and i found myself not astounding myself you know sitting back and going man all of these days and months and now years are passing and some cool things have happened because of it but i'm also not doing enough and i'm not astounding myself um and that's you know for me that's very much a sense of loss i have to confess
1: right yeah i guess everything comes with a price it's funny that balance is tough it's just it's and i think anybody into uh bitcoin or ethereum or or anything with crypto would, would relate but uh it's 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 really hard to kind of step away when the the news cycle happens so fast. And it, I mean, you know, like, like three months in in uh, crypto might as well be three years. E- every day there's something new. There's there's more there's more drama. There's some new project. Uh, the price is going insane mm-hmm. in one direction or another. Um, and 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 it's not just kind of like you know with uh you know maybe more and more uh well-defined technology it's like we're talking about this emerging technology that, that nobody really has a firm grip on yet we're, right. we're still exploring it and, and you know we can see the contours of what things are going to look like but we haven't we don't have a firm grip on it so it's kind of fascinating and that's one thing that really um mm-hmm. just diverged a little over to the opinion side of things like right now that, that, that gets under my skin a little bit is you, you see a lot of uh Bitcoin versus Ethereum type sentiment, you know, because, that, <laughs> okay, that's understandable that people focus on those. They're the two uh, top projects right now in, in blockchain. But this idea of, you know, mutually exclusive and it, this, this idea of competition and you have to be one or the other, and then to, to pull, pull it back just to Bitcoin, you know, you have this debate over uh, this classic versus core debate. And, you know, granted, it's very important, but mm-hmm. it, one thing that strikes me as utterly insane is all the divisiveness and all the, the divisions that people can find in blockchain, like, let's just step back for a minute and think about this. We have a front row view, and in many cases, we're actually directly involved with this technology that's developing before our eyes. It, it's it's something that, you know, didn't exist previously. It, it's akin to being, uh, you know, part of the, the develop of the development of the internet. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it was starting to really take off, say, in the, the mid-90s. And the idea that we, uh, this idea of being very, uh, you know, siloing yourself and, you know, saying, well, I'm this, I'm, I'm that, whatever, you know, this us versus them mentality to me stri- strikes me as ludicrous. We're all sort hmm. of in the boat together. Yes, you know, we, we might be involved in different projects or blockchains, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, this is, we're all working on this technology that's, uh, that, I you know, could change the world. Yeah. And I see more and more of this every day, this vitriol and this venom. Uh, for people that are newer to crypto, um, You know, they they might not recall, but, you know, back in uh, 2012 and 2013, uh, the Bitcoin was a very positive and supporting environment for for people that were just uh, learning about the technology. People were super helpful. Yeah, It was a great sort of uh, it was almost like you'd expect uh, of a a really cool, innovative technology. Like, okay, this is awesome. And something happened. I don't know whether it was the bubble popping uh, after Gox or, you know, the, these new divisions in the community. But uh, there's been so much just venom and, uh, you know, even, I hate to say it, but even hatred sometimes. Like, I don't know where this came from. Um, so I, I hope that the community overall, this blockchain in general, uh, can can get away from that. Um, maybe it's too late for certain Bitcoiners. Um, I, As part of uh, somebody who works more at Ethereum, I, I will say that it reminds me more of, of 2013, it reminds me of the good old days with Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully, it stays that way. Maybe, maybe it's inevitable that things get a little bit more conflictual over time as a project grows and matures. But um, uh, a good collaborative, supporting environment, I think, is is to everybody's benefit.
0: I think so, man. You know, it's also that you know you have these people will come in with agendas that are really against what satoshi nakamoto for instance what that entity intended and you know we have this idea this foundation for what we think it should be and then when you have these other forces coming in and you know maybe wanting to have bitcoin be something that's really more specific to retail i think that then you see the clash there of you know the good and the right versus the people who just want again like target or walmart just make money they just want to make the profit and so i can see a natural conflict there but then you know in the forums and reddit you have people like michael marquardt thamos who will then be actively censoring opinions and you know as soon as i hear about somebody censoring actually censoring public opinion so that freedom of speech now is getting the old heel you know getting the old boot heel then i get furious you know because that goes directly against all concepts of humanitarianism and of freedom and of freedom of expression and freedom of speech and i think that is i think it's absolutely fine then when people get furious and they vent their rage toward that is that the best way to handle it maybe not you know certainly uh, as i've said you know as i've said for years what would have benefited the bitcoin foundation and so many people working in the bitcoin sphere and this whole big debate that's been going on is to put money put aside you know ten or twenty thousand fifty thousand dollars and have that dedicated to hiring some professional people who come from a background with master's degrees and phds in conflict management and dispute resolution and there are people like that and that's what they do for a living And if we had, you know, early on said, we need to hire these people because this is a huge conflict and it's a huge dispute and we need to find a way to resolve this. Well, the people in the tech world have no such background, right? And the people in the finance world have no such background. So bring in the people that have that background and let these experts help make this thing work and help resolve these disputes so that everybody can understand each other a little bit better and then move forward in a way that's a little bit more cohesive and if nothing else, you know, friendly so that we can get more done. But, you know, again, it's just for me, it's testament to human nature, you know, that there are always going to be these conflicts when you get enough humans involved in the same project you know put them all out on a ship at sea and yeah sometimes they'll get along other times there's going to be a mutiny or something you know they'll be cannibalizing each other you know <laughs> if, if the weather doesn't go quite right and if they don't reach land in time they're going to start eating each other you know but <laughs>
1: yeah yeah sounds like the plot for a, a B movie or something doesn't it
0: yeah it does man I would still love it if someone would write the definitive novel uh, about this whole craziness in the Bitcoin world because there's so many side stories that could be in it with intrigue and romance and just insanity and the world of finance and the world of tech and you could have heroes that are geeks and yeah I don't know man it's just <laughs> yeah
1: you, you can't make this stuff
0: up <laughs> no man. Hey, you know John I I don't I don't have a, a dog in the
1: in the classic versus core debate. Um, I'm actually not invested in, in Bitcoin uh, right at the moment, but I, I, I couldn't agree more in terms of the, the censorship. That's the one thing that to me is unconscionable. It, it's, uh, it's absolutely, uh, it, it's kind of mind blowing to see, it, it runs contrary to, you know, the spirit of Bitcoin, the spirit of open information. Yeah. I think in many ways, you know, you can sort of draw the lineage of today's blockchain to the, the cypherpunk movement of, you know, the mid to late 80s and kind of the, that burgeoning sort of area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Julian Assange is part of that. and This idea that, uh, you know, information wants to be free. So to have active censorship and, and just arbitrary rulemaking in, you know, what used to be the, the central form for the project and it maybe still is to me is just is ludicrous uh, yeah. and also you see a lot of hypocrisy too uh, you know of course you can't um the bitcoin uh our bitcoin is notorious for deleting any posts that pertain to ethereum because the logic is well this is about bitcoin but if you head over there now you know there's countless, countless posts about the dow because it's it's i think it's schadenfreude people are you know some bitcoiners are just uh so gleeful to see uh uh, a different, uh, a quote competing project yes. and having an issue, but, but okay, that's fine. If it's negative about the project, that's, that's <laughs> cool. So I, I you know, I, that, that to me is just, um, it, it kind of makes my, my skin crawl and it makes me think that, you know, the community as a whole needs to take a, uh, a look at itself and think, okay, what, what are the real goals of this? Um, fortunately, you know, there's always a way around censorship. So, you, you know, in Bitcoin, you have BTC and, and blockchain itself offers a way around uh censorship too so uh, i think the more we see people manipulating information and actively censoring information uh the more demand there will be for a, a a product that is uh censorship resistant
0: yes i completely agree and you know it may be as simple as all of this fighting that we see that you know we'll probably see moving forward and people getting jealous when you know all of a sudden Ethereum's on the stage and they get jealous because their Bitcoin's not in the top running as far as, you know, conversations. It may be as simple as, you know, way too many twenty and thirty year old guys who have, you know, they're jacked up on the world's greatest drug for young men, testosterone, but you know, they're they're all really pale because they sit inside all the time and they have very little muscle mass. And, you know, half of them or 80% of them have never kissed a girl. So they're incredibly frustrated, masturbating furiously. And it may just be that they have so much pent up angst that it's all they can do to just, you know, keep their sanity and if they get a chance to just bang their head against something or bang their fist or put their voice out there that they will do that. Like Michael Marquardt, he's probably one of those guys who still lives on his parents' couch and he's just so frustrated that he just decides he's going to censor people so that he has a little bit of power and, you know, after he does that he has a smirk and he goes back up to the kitchen and heats up a hot pocket and gets a fresca and, you know, goes back down to the basement, crashes on the couch, plays some video games and gets back to Censoring people. I mean, it may just be as simple as that—a bunch of frustrated, nerdy guys who just need a hug from a woman or need a girlfriend. I think it just could boil down to that. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Like, I I think I think that dynamic or that that segment definitely exists in crypto. And if if somebody does find themselves a little bit sheltered, I I think in a lot of cases you're right. Where people are hiding behind a computer screen, you know, they, they, they don't typically deal with human beings this way. Right. And maybe naturally they're a bit of an asshole, but they don't, they don't treat people this way, but there's something about that, uh, pseudo anonymity yes. of, you know, having, having your Reddit handle instead of you talking. Um, yes. if these people would just get out and actually, uh, you know, go to a meetup or go to a conference and actually hang out with other people like, uh, in all my time going to any sort of crypto event, I've never encountered anything but, you know, positive sentiment, you know, sure. What we'll have debates and disagreements, but it's always cordial. And that yep. sense of it's community true. is actually there when you get there or when you, um, you know, we actually hang out one-on-one and not in these online forums. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, <laughs> that's part of it is encouraging people to actually, uh, you know, get out and make some friends, hang out, make, make some business connections. Um, the other thing is you know there are uh sort of competing interests everybody uh, not everybody but a lot of people have uh you know they have a vested interest in some aspect of crypto you know some some people uh, maybe that it would benefit them if uh, the classic side won and you know others are behind core and they actually have a financial stake in it and you know that that of course will bias their perspective but yes. um, i if there's one thing I'd like to see in in, in the Bitcoin community and something that I, I do think currently exists in Ethereum that I like, and it kind of goes back to what I was alluding to before with uh, just a positive environment. But um, what, one of the, the recent meetups we had for Ethereum Denver was uh, Crypto Salon.
0: Hmm. It
1: was actually our last meetup. And I, I got the idea from reading some of the founding father uh, biographies. And, hmm. you know, this is back during the uh, revolutionary time. And it, it it strikes me as a little bit similar to now because, you had a, a lot of debate over what's going on. And, uh, you know, you had this back then you had this entirely new country. Uh, perhaps I'm drawing the analogy a little bit too broad, but, but now we have this new technology, which is sort of like a, a new digital, uh, frontier. It's, yeah. it's also a new, in an abstract way. It's a new, it's a new country. Yeah. Uh, it's a new area. So, you know, back then people would, would sit down and talk through these issues and just have these, excellent debates and really, really, you know, listen to each other and take their time to make points and and just explore things. And I, I think if there is more hmm. communication and more talking, uh, that would be to uh, Bitcoin's benefit. But, uh, you yeah. know, like you said, John, there's a lot of the sort of just immature, you know, name calling and putting people down. It's like, okay, you know, give us a call when you grow up a little bit.
0: Yeah. You know, I've always said if you could take some, you know, as some countries have a mandatory one year military service i think all americans should have a mandatory one year where you go to a foreign country and you you know you work there you stay with a family or whatever you do something productive there but just get outside of the country and you know see how things are different and it, it will definitely educate you in a way that staying home and doing nothing and doing the same old same old won't and you know your idea for some of these guys you know get out to a meetup and go realize that you know these meetups are almost always nothing but great folks there with a you know varied background tech or not and that's just a great way to meet people and um, experience something new and just kind of expand your horizons but yeah I think uh, it's definitely a new frontier and I think it needs to be looked at that way and with excitement and with enthusiasm you know more than anything really.
1: Absolutely. And you can kind of see why there's these different, um, there are a lot of emotions right now, I think, in crypto, because it's, you know, really, okay, so Bitcoin's been around for several years, but in the, in the scheme of things, it's still a very new technology and project, and yeah. Ethereum is even newer. But in both projects right now, it's, it's kind of fascinating, because you have these two, two questions. Well, one question just reared its head after the Dow collapsed, but on the Ethereum side of things, we're confronted with this idea of moral hazard. So people invested a lot of money in this project. I, I, I believe it was something on the order of 10 or 15 percent of all the ether out there. I mean, hmm. massive. Wow. Um, you know, millions of dollars, and everybody's. Uh, you know, this has been the, the, the thing has been hacked. If nothing was done, then investors investors lose their money. Which in the uh, the legacy finance world that happens. You know, uh, yeah. like I actually invested in some shady uh, marijuana stocks a few years ago. And they all went up about 10x. I, I, at some point, I think I had 10k. And then they all collapsed because they hmm. were shitty companies. And, and now I probably have $200 worth of those stocks. Wow. But, uh, you know, I, I knew what I was getting into. I, I, I risked something. It was a high risk, high reward proposition. Yes. Uh, but with the Dow, uh, these investors jumped in. And, you know, again, it's a risky thing. And I, I certainly would not have been surprised if my investment went to zero because, hey, it's a new project. It's a yeah. new concept me too. But now there's this idea that, well, maybe, uh, you know, we should have a soft fork or hard fork to bail everybody out. Um, does that create a precedent? Uh, uh, does that create moral hazard risk? You could say yes. Although the alternative is, okay, well, if we don't bail them out, um, you know, for one thing, Ethereum is planning on, on uh, shifting to proof of stake pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want this hacker to have a inordinate control of the uh, outstanding ether and, you know, mining control? Um, And also just this idea of like, uh, uh, from a psychological and sort of perception uh, perspective, it's, it's a rough situation because after getting all this attention, this positive media attention, okay, now it's this giant clusterfuck. (laughs) The headlines in, in uh, New York times or wall street journal don't look too good right now. So uh, I think, Metallic and everybody at Ethereum are are facing some pressure to you know kind of say kind of write this off as a, a learning experience and, and kind of bail everybody out or at least handle it in a way that doesn't cause too much pain and then uh, you know hopefully we can go back to what life is normal or <laughs> as normal as it ever is in Ethereum.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that they're going to be fair with everybody and they really don't want to. Put people off and they don't want to make themselves look bad or sully the name of ethereum or even of the dow so you know i think that i think they'll work things out we don't want to have the feeling that we're involved in something akin to a bank bailout we don't want that but yeah the speculators are there and i think that certainly there are some who are unrealistically optimistic about what would happen and this is a you know crushing blow to them especially if they put more into it than they could you know, afford to lose. That's always crushing. And that's what, you know, the warnings have always been. Andreas Antonopoulos is a great one to say, you know, no, I would not (laughs) encourage people to invest in Bitcoin, maybe a little bit, but, but certainly not anything that would have a negative effect on your life if it all goes to zero, such as, you know, a second mortgage on your house or something like that. So, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I also think that in certain ways it's good when bad things happen in the Bitcoin world and there's all this bad press out in the real world, out in the Matrix world where the people are still living in the Matrix. You know, I think it's great when the New York Times, you know, proffers their ridiculous hyperbole and says, you know, Bitcoin's dead or (laughs) something bad happened. Because what happens whenever that happens is some of the heat comes off of bitcoin you know maybe they were getting ready to regulate in a certain way or in a certain state and they go ah you know what it looks like bitcoin's gonna die anyway let's not worry about that let's worry about this other legislation that's more pressing guns or whatever who can go into a public restroom and who can't so you know in some ways it's kind of cool to see those people out there in the real world laughing aha ethereum the dow bitcoin it's all dying You know, because they move on and they think about something else while what's really going on is the people who are developing Bitcoin and who are working to stack things on top of Bitcoin. And same thing for Ethereum. They're busy working. You know, they're busy working and they're busy getting paid. And they're super intelligent folks. They're not goofing around. They have very specific agendas and they're learning as they go. And they're learning that this thing is growing, but it's not growing in a way that your average Wall Street Journal or New York Times wants to see things grow and that's just fine I think this episode of bitcoins and gravy is brought to you by our good friends at moonshinebootwax.com made by hand in small batches right here in East Nashville Tennessee Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is the original all-natural non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is a proprietary blend of American beeswax and other fine all-natural ingredients. It's specially formulated to feed and protect your leather while also offering an excellent long-lasting shine. Whether it's your cowboy boots, your expensive wingtips, or your wife's favorite pumps, Moonshine Boot Wax is a must-have for gentlemen who care about their appearance. Moonshine Boot Wax is proud to partner with Community Food Advocates, a nonprofit organization working to end hunger by creating a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. Together with Community Food Advocates, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is making a positive difference in the Nashville community, one shine at a time. You can buy your very own 4-ounce tin today by going to moonshinebootwax.com, and best of all, you can pay you. Using bitcoin you raise a good point
1: john about the government maybe not not paying as much of attention or just regulators in general if the the perception is that you know projects aren't really going anywhere right now like i think if the government is is good at anything it's establishing you know rent seeking behavior over technologies <laughs> yes uh, as they emerge and and also you know supporting uh you know the the sort of Legacy uh, institutions of our society. So, if 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 there's this idea that maybe uh, well, okay, they can't even figure out how to evolve Bitcoin or you know this other thing called Ethereum. Well, it just got hacked. Maybe they'll they'll focus their energies elsewhere for a while. Which I, I think all of us would would say would be just fine because the, the last thing we need is uh, you know some three-letter agencies that don't truly understand the technology uh, trying to play a role in in its development. I think that's one of the things that made the internet so um, uh, so successful in the early days. Is, is you know, granted, it was sort of developed by uh, DARPA and, and the government in a way, but it became its own thing. And mm-hmm. um, if blockchain adheres to those those principles, we'll be in good shape. But uh,
0: yeah, I think the, the so. other
1: kind of the the flip side of the equation. The other question to me that I, I also wanted to talk about it's such a conundrum because Ethereum we have these uh, you know it, it's somewhat centralized in the fact that Ah, uh, the Ethereum Foundation, headed by Vitalik, can can ultimately decide how to handle you know this DAO situation. Mm-hmm. To me, it's fascinating that on the Bitcoin side of things, it's the complete opposite problem, where it's a uh, too much decentralization, or you might say a lack of centralization, that's causing the the civil war. You know, whereas if there was a more yeah. centralized decision-making authority, they would have said, okay, increase the block limit, let's move on with our lives and the technology. I think one thing people most people aren't aware of is ethereum had a uh, more decentralization or at least uh, less less centralized control in the early days and i'm talking about kind of throughout 2014 when the project was really kind of just getting underway
0: uh-huh.
1: um, you can jump into irc chat rooms where a lot of the the action was happening and uh take the pulse of what was going on in the community and what of what the problems in those early days was just a, you know, I don't want to say mismanagement, but it was a, a lot of disorganization and confusion because uh, on one hand, you had Vitalik uh, working on the project, and he was working on uh, Serpent, which is a Python iteration of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And then you had uh, Gavin Wood. You know, He's kind of a co-founder of the project. He was in Berlin working uh, on, uh, on another version of Ethereum, and he had developers under him. But the problem was there wasn't a lot of cohesiveness, and there was a lot of confusion amongst developers, uh, and just a, a lack of uh, sense of where the project was going. And th- this actually extended into, um, you know, a- a- as the a- as Ethereum launched, uh, there is there were some issues where developers were, were promised payouts in in Ether in exchange for their work, what, mm. what they had done, uh, and. There is—I don't think it was anything maliciously intended by by Ethereum, but based on you know a misunderstanding or whatever, these guys weren't paid out promptly. So there there is some a little bad blood about that. They they took care of that, and I feel like uh, since then the Ethereum Foundation exerts a little bit stronger of control over the process and the project. And I, I think it's to the the ecosystem's benefit that, that that's the case hmm. um, because when it was a little bit looser, things did get sloppy and, and there were a lot of, uh, you know, conflicts and just things weren't moving ahead very quickly. Hmm. So I, I think as long as uh, the Ethereum Foundation remains a good actor and uh, benevolent, <laughs> a benevolent uh, sort <laughs> of dictator, if you will, a benevolent guiding force, everything's fine. But, uh, you know, the the, the, the nature of, being humans, is that, you know, things like greed or other factors can can change people. Uh, So I'm hoping, I'm being optimistic, I'm hoping that the Ethereum Foundation remains benevolent and continues to make the right decisions, because that, of course, is the risk of centralization is, you know, at some point, they're not acting in everybody's benefit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm all for decentralization, but, you know, some people say decentralize everything. And, you know, fact of the matter is you can't. And, you know, I've had jobs where I had great bosses who were running a great company and I was honored to work with them. I worked for a guy named Dan Knapp years ago in Berkeley, California. He and his wife, Mary Lou, he's a retired sociologist and started this company called Urban Ore. Like, you know, you're getting ore from the ground, but Urban Ore. And we, had a contract He had a contract with the city of Berkeley and their transfer station where people go dump yard debris and dump, you know, things that they want to throw away. And you'd be shocked and amazed at the things that people would throw away. There, someone passes away and they just take all of their belongings and take them to the transfer station. And we would salvage from there. And we would also recycle metal. And then we had a giant warehouse. It's still there in Berkeley, off of Gilman. Well, I'm not sure if it's still off of Gilman, but giant warehouse and it would you know where they sell. All of these used goods, and you can get store credit if you bring things in. And it's just an amazing business, Urban Ore. Check it out if you're in the Berkeley area. But, uh, you know, I was honored to work for Dan Knapp because he was such a great leader, you know, and his, his whole philosophy and the whole way that he set it up. And we had an employee pool where the more everybody worked, the more you salvaged, the more you brought in based on the hours you worked that week, the more money you made every week. So it was just such a great model. So you can have a great ruler, you can have a great centralized authority that rules over a business and controls a business, owns a business, and it can work fabulously. And I think that we need to remember that, you know, moving forward, that that there are some examples, many examples in the world where, um, you know, benevolent rulers have Succeeded, you know, in stunning ways in making the world a better place and, and in offering um, a better life for a lot of people.
1: For sure, I yeah, it's interesting to think about the the opposite, which is what we've seen with uh, that. That really was the goal. of The DAO is uh, removing all centralization, and instead, you know, I guess it kind of boils down to it really it became a, a, a big uh, experiment in democracy because hmm. it's uh, you know, everybody can vote on a project to their holding of, of DAO tokens. And uh, that was supposed to, I think the vision is that, um, you know, that what's the organization kind of uh, act without a board of directors. The, the only real rules are actually the code itself, mm-hmm. uh, the, the smart contract. Uh, so if, if that actually does take off, it'll be interesting. And there's also some fascinating concepts behind uh, smart contract enabled Dow's or Dax, uh, especially the idea of liquid democracy, hmm. uh, where you're talking about maybe uh, that, that's kind of an advanced uh, political science concept. But uh, you know, you're talking about maybe proportional um, votes, and also uh, uh, giving somebody else, the, you, you know, the power to make the vote for you, but not in such a way that it's like uh, the, fa- the way that you know senators can make decisions for an entire state. Right. So if you fast forward fifty years, I think this this sort of decentralization will actually lead somewhere pretty cool but for now we're, we're kind of struggling with just the logistics of it
0: yeah I like to think that I like to think that decentralization can bring us a paradigm shift in terms of politics in terms of uh, how we allow entities or how we allow rulers to rule as opposed to you know the direction it seems like we've been going in for thousands of years is you know how do these rulers rule over us? And, you know, to what extent do we fear them and have to battle them to get what we want as opposed to, you know, they're really supposed to be the ones who are looking at us and saying, what should I do? You know, what do you people want me to do? Gosh darn it. You know, a true democracy can't really exist where, you know, every person is a vote and then you have mob rule. Sadly, there aren't that many real models politically that can actually work here on the planet of the apes, which is, you know... (laughs) we're just a couple of notches above those apes but uh yeah i'm hugely optimistic too like you are man that some of these models moving forward could you know lead us closer to something akin to democracy where people really do have a voice and uh you know really can be heard in terms of their votes in terms of you know getting what is best for you know the greatest number of people without you know moving towards you know something akin to communism So, yeah, I'm hugely optimistic moving forward. It's just, you know, I'm sure that I'm sure on the day that I die, even if I live to be 100, I'm still going to be pissed off about something.
1: There's always going to be something to be pissed about, for sure. When you think about blockchain, too, there's some great sort of problems waiting to be solved when you think about corruption, uh, you know, which is really endemic in a lot of countries. uh, uh, You know, you have uh, officials taking bribes or you have and and definitely this happens in the US too but you have you know large sums of money they just kind of go missing uh you know like uh especially with defense contracts that's that's very common where yeah uh, you know millions or billions are just kind of like disappear somehow god knows what's happening yeah. being able to trace uh and track uh those like, like sort of government finances on the blockchain would would be huge yeah. and then uh i think another thing that could really improve people's lives and this definitely applies to developing countries and third world countries. Is uh, you know some some way to codify property rights? Because uh, you know in in a lot of slums, for example, say the slums of, of Mumbai or, or Rio, uh, one one common problem is that there are you know people don't actually have they don't own where they live. Where they live might be a very humble you know shack or shipping container, but it is you know it's their area, but they have no way of actually owning that property, mm-hmm. um, and even if they kind of own it, it's not—it's it, hard to codify. So, even though the blockchain seems pretty far removed from a, a you know a slum in Brazil, it, it, it fast forward a little bit, a few decades, and you can imagine how how tokens or contracts representing ownership in property might actually benefit these people that, that don't currently have the benefit
0: of property rights. Yeah, that's something that I've heard people talk about. For a number of years in the bitcoin space and yeah that's so important for human freedom because oftentimes many people all over the world don't have any power when it comes to disputing land rights or you know where they have the right to squat who actually owns that land and that's something that certainly could change over time it would be great to see that and yeah you know you have a giant public ledger that's completely secure we hope and you know how can we use this what can be built upon it I think really I think the sky's the limit I'm I'm hugely optimistic about it wish that I were a tech guy that I could be building stuff on top of it but you know the least I can do is just talk to people who are you know helping out and uh, who have great ideas and that you know for me that's exciting and talking with you so I would love to if we could somehow arrange it that I could come to Denver and you know two things that you and I talked about uh one is meet up with your Ethereum meetup group and, you know, maybe we all go out to your favorite pizza place. And, um, I can do a show from there, you know, where we pass the mic around and talk to different people and ask their backgrounds. Cause I think listeners really like that to find out, you know, who are these people that are involved in this and how did they get involved and why are they you know, still involved in what are their interests moving forward. And then my second interest in coming to Denver is hoping to hit some of the dispensaries, not for recreational reasons, but because I have bone spurs in my neck and a disc problem in my back and some early arthritis in my hands that bothers me every day. So yeah, I would love to come there and maybe even do a show on that. I'm not sure how it really relates to bitcoins or bitcoins and gravy but, but uh you know to, <laughs> to at least be able to to go to denver and to be able to go to the medicinal side of the dispensary and talk with these people and say hey what are you finding out is best for you know people who have this arthritis in their hands and you know what percentage of cbd versus thc do you recommend and should i take an oil or should i try to vape this so yeah i'd like to come out there for like three days and uh i'd like part of that to be meeting up with you guys the ethereum folks and or the bitcoin folks but uh, you're the one so far who's been the most open to this idea so i think it would be i think it'd be a blast to meet up with you guys if we could work together to somehow arrange that it'd be great
1: oh we'd love to have you there's really not a bad time to come out here too um you know maybe in the dead of winter you might run the risk of a blizzard but it's uh it's especially nice in the late summer fall um in terms of big events, you know, there's always something going on. Uh, we have the Great American Beer Festival. I'm not sure exactly when that is. Um, the uh, and then in terms of cannabis, there, there's uh a lot of different things going on. Uh, I I, w- I will say that the the common uh, thread between Bitcoin and, and cannabis, at least here in Denver, maybe it's the same in Washington and California, but a lot of dispensary owners. Uh, are using bitcoin i don't want to say a lot but some are using bitcoin as a way to handle funds uh because you know just the, the way the the banking system is structured they can't actually have bank accounts right. so they wind up with this surplus of cash right so they're you know putting that in bitcoin is a sort of natural um natural choice right. and I, I also think that maybe the blockchain has certain applications for uh you know tracking cannabis and maybe uh other aspects too like here, here in denver what's interesting is uh the the weed has to be tracked from from uh, the growth from the plant and to to consumer. So the whole the whole path from uh, you know growing in the in the warehouse or wherever it's grown hydroponically to the dispensary and then finally to the consumer. So uh, you know it's a matter of uh, due diligence for these dispensaries to take care of that. Hmm. Maybe there's an application there for blockchain. Who knows?
0: Man, certainly there is, and certainly somebody needs to be busy building that. That seems so buildable right (laughs) that you'd be able to just track that inventory and and you know as you would if you owned a bar you need to inventory the liquor warehouse you need to inventory what's there what comes and what goes and yeah I mean everybody has their own every company has their own private ledger but you know now you have a public ledger I think it couldn't hurt I think for a company to show that additional transparency could really only benefit the whole movement in terms of how the state and how the feds look at it like hey these guys are really being transparent this is you know important and this is kind of setting a precedent for what we could all do moving forward not to say that every company wants to have their private business out there in everybody's face but i think that there are definitely benefits to using that but uh yeah someone's got to get busy writing that man again i can't do this stuff are you a tech guy do you have a tech background
1: uh my background is actually uh well i do marketing right now for my nine to five i do uh uh, I'm an e e-commerce marketing strategist. Oh, cool! Is kind of uh, what I'm doing these days. My background is uh, I did actually work for a tech startup uh, previously to this, and uh, kind of saw firsthand all the all the hype that goes into a typical, you know, tech startup. That that sort of uh, breathless anticipation of getting, uh, you know, funding from one of the the big guys out in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, courting all these VCs on Sand Hill Road, and okay, that's cool. But yeah. yeah, to me, uh, that, that, well, I, I got kind of sick of that, it, 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 and maybe it's a little bit, maybe it's a little bit misguided of me. But I, I, I sort of view Silicon Valley as a little bit like, I don't want to say the antithesis to blockchain, because these guys are investing in it. But I, I think that you don't have to have big VC investment to to build something cool and potentially make a lot of money in blockchain. Uh, so th- th- I think this idea of like having to get these guys to invest in you to the tune of millions and millions of dollars isn't necessarily the case anymore. Um, uh, you could probably get different opinions from different guys, but especially as there's more and more money being created, uh, you know, think about, um, you know, some of the biggest investors in Bitcoin companies are the very same guys that just got into Bitcoin early and now, you know, ha- have a lot of money by virtue of the fact that they they were just early Bitcoiners. Yeah. Just the same might wind up happening in Ethereum and other currencies. So, uh the the, the community and, and the the technology will sort of invest in itself without necessarily um, you know being beholden to Silicon Valley and playing by by their rules.
0: I agree with that. Yeah, I mean their rules are corporate rules. There's no getting around that. So yeah, I like to think that there is much room to play and to work and to develop outside of those corporate rules, those corporate paradigms that those people are kind of stuck in and uh, I'm optimistic about that too, man. And if I had more money, if I were a Bitcoin millionaire, I'd be throwing money every once in a while at uh, a lot of the little projects I hear about that are, you know, being bootstrapped out of somebody's garage and that would be a thrill to me to be able to do that. And who knows, maybe one day I will be. But uh, yeah, I completely agree with you on that front.
1: Right. Well, at this rate with the, the price going up, yeah, just w- wait a few more months. I'm sure you'll be there.
0: <laughs> there you go, man, a few more months. I think it's going to take a little longer than a few more months for me because I don't have that much Bitcoin, but uh, I'm still optimistic that, you know, I would at least have something to retire on <laughs> down the road as I've been self-employed for so many years. I'm never going to have anything like a pension or anything like that. So I'm all on my own out here, folks. So that's a, right. a hmm. subtle hint to send your tips to
1: put, put your address in there
0: <laughs> yeah put the address in there well hey Kent it's been great talking with you man thank you for taking so much time to talk today and for all of your great ideas I'm really looking forward to meeting up with you guys there in Denver
1: uh, my pleasure John thanks for having me that was fun I guess my only request is when you come out here and you know we'll, we'll get it all set up uh, but we'll definitely have a, a jam session too we'll, we'll get some guitars maybe call uh, my drummer buddy we'll, we'll uh, rock out a little bit too
0: that sounds fun, man. I'm a horrible guitarist. I've been playing guitar for 30 years. and I'm just a strummer, uh, but I can sing really well.
1: Hey, that's all you need. Three chords in a, in a good voice, right?
0: <laughs> I love it. Cool, man. Well, all right. Hey, thanks a million, Kent. I really appreciate you taking time to talk. Thank you, John. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Kent Barton, the founder and organizer of Ethereum Denver. Kent, thank you, sir, for taking time to talk with us today. And rest assured that I will be out in Denver before too long. And I'm looking forward to meeting some of the Ethereum Denver folks. Thanks again, Kent. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, CryptoCompare.com. The absolute best resource on the internet for discovering new up-to-date information on the exciting and ever-changing world of cryptocurrencies. CryptoCompare.com. The best resource for cryptocurrency traders and investors. CryptoCompare.com. And an extra special thanks to our sponsor, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax, the original all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. The Nashville Wax Company is now offering Moonshine Biker Boot Wax, yes, the same high-quality boot wax now available in black. Their newest product is Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover for removing stubborn, sticky stuff. It's like Goo Gone, but without the toxic petroleum-based chemicals. All moonshine products are 100% natural and are available at 15 different fine retail outlets in the Nashville area, including the shops at the Nashville airport. To order a tin of Moonshine Boot Wax or a four ounce bottle of Moonshine Miracle Residue Remover, stay where you are. That's right, without even getting up out of your chair, just go to MoonshineBootWax.com. Use your credit card, your debit card, or better yet, pay the modern way with Bitcoin. That's right, Bitcoin, the modern way to pay at moonshinebootwax.com. And a shout out to the Bitcoins and Gravy freelance transcriptionist for his excellent and highly accurate work. Professional transcriptions of the show can be found on our website. And to get in touch with the freelance transcriptionist, just head over to diaryofafreelancetranscriptionist.com. And finally, I'd like to thank my loyal listeners, that's you, for tuning in and for giving me such great feedback about the show. Your comments in the show notes are always appreciated, as are the tips that you send to my Bitcoin wallet. Listen, I'm a hardworking guy with two jobs and without a lot of money, so every little bit counts. Even a 50-cent tip sent to my wallet goes a long way to making me feel that doing this job on a volunteer basis is worth it. It also helps keep the lights on and food in my belly. Signing off now from Nashville, Tennessee, I'm John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Until next week, friends, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Do something, y'all, and be proud of it.
2: Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Down the road it will be told about the death of old Mount Gox. About traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks. But them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee. See, they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free. Our oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain. of oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain. Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. a virtuality, a promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny, a Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain, a Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain, till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name, till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your, give me some exposure, everybody knows your name, sing it Oh Lord. Pass me some more, oh Lord, before I have to go, oh Lord, pass me some more, oh Lord, before I have to go. To each other out there. Here. We
1: have front row seats in the development of a historic technology that is doing things that have never been done before. And every day that goes by, I just feel amazed at at Having this opportunity to be frontline observer and sometimes influencer in what is turning out to be perhaps a historic, generational, worldwide, impactful, disruptive change in technology, one that will create history. And that is an amazing feeling.
0: Hey,
2: kid, over here. The magic word is magic. M-A-G-I-C. Magic. That's it.
0: Over and out.